0: Well, I still remember when music first awakened something in me. I was probably nine or 10 years old, late 1960s. My neighborhood buddy Billy and I discovered his big sister's stash of 45 RPM records. And so we started listening to them while we played Monopoly or Battleship on lazy summer afternoons. The Beatles, I want to hold your hand. Jackie DeShannon, What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love. Marvin Gaye, Heard It Through the Grapevine. What surprised me was that it wasn't just background music. These songs stirred something in me. Joy, longing, angst, romance. Angst, (laughs) romance? I'm 10 years old. What's going on inside of me? Music had always been something I just listened to. Suddenly, it was something I felt, something that moved me in ways I couldn't quite describe. Well, soon I was a teenager, and music was a main topic of conversation in the school cafeteria and at sleepovers. Who was better, the Stones or the Beatles, Jimi Hendrix or Jimmy Page? Was Paul really dead? Why was he barefoot on the cover of the Abbey Road album? (laughs) On and on it went. By the time we got to Woodstock, not me, I was 13. (laughs) By the time my generation got to Woodstock, we were not just listening to music and feeling the music, we were being shaped by the music. The countercultural tunes of Dylan and Mitchell and Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young had us growing our hair long and protesting school policies. Friends were trying drugs and starting garage bands. What made it all the more sweeter is that there was something rebellious about it. I remember playing Stairway to Heaven for my parents. They hated it, and I was so glad. (laughs) This music gave us a voice. It gave us an identity. It it brought us together. It gave us a cause. And thus began my lifelong fascination with music and rock and roll in particular. It wasn't just the guitar riffs and the rollicking beat. This music was saying something. It was stirring something inside me and inside of us. I couldn't quite explain what it was, but it made every aspect of life more interesting, including my faith. And so when I had my first chance to lead a Bible study as a seventh grader to my junior high youth group, the topic was loneliness, And we opened with a Simon and Garfunkel tune, I am a rock, I am an island, and a rock never cries, and an island feels no pain. And then we opened the Bible, and we talked about God's answer to loneliness. Now, just so you understand, I am not an audiophile. I'm not anyone's groupie. I rarely buy music. I don't have expensive audio gear. I only occasionally go to live concerts. I don't even create playlists. I actually like the randomness of scanning the radio stations or a handful of Pandora stations I listen to. Kind of eclectic, classic rock, top 40, alternative, little R&B, rap, no country. No country, unless I'm in Karen's car, all right? All of this to say, I like music, and so do you probably. But why? Why is music such an important feature of our lives and our culture? How and when might it whisper God's story to us? Those are the questions we'd like to go after for a few minutes today as we continue our summer series here exploring the intersection of popular culture and Christian faith. When does culture point us toward God? And when does it fall short of his vision for humanity? So far, we've talked about uh, hero movies, Disney stories, reality TV, and so today, it's popular music. Because if Star Wars can make Pastor Tim love Jesus more, then rock and roll can do the same for me. So, let me show you how. Let's begin reminding ourselves that God loves music. Now, how do we know that? Well, a few ways, a few ways. For one thing, every time we get a glimpse of heaven, there's music playing. Angelic choirs, glory to God in the highest. Six-winged creatures singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Twenty-four elders strumming harps and singing praise, worthy is the Lamb. There's always music going on in heaven. For another thing, every time we see God's people coming together, whether Old Testament or New, whether synagogue or temple or church, they're always singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making music in their hearts to God. For a third thing, the longest book of the Bible, the very central book of the Bible, is a song book. The book of Psalms is an album, really, a collection of 150 tunes Tunes that that rise from every human experience and emotion. The words sing and song appear over a hundred times in the book of Psalms alone. Listen to a few lines from one of those songs. Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord the King. Now, this psalm is known in liturgical traditions as the cantate domino, from the Latin translation of the opening lines sing to the Lord. Turns out God doesn't just like it when we sing, He demands that we sing that we make music with our voices and with instruments. And he seems to like his music loud and passionate and full of energy, which sounds like rock and roll to me. (laughs) Burst forth, he says, into jubilant music. The word picture behind that is, is a pot boiling over. There's something inside that cannot be contained. What's happening in us, what we're thinking and feeling, words alone cannot express. Those words need need tone and pitch and rhythm to express something. So we know that God loves music. It was he who gave us the capacity to create music and to enjoy music. And so it really is one of God's good gifts to humankind. Music is a gift because it speaks to and for our hearts in ways that words can't. Music speaks to and for our hearts in ways that words just can't do. Music enables us to express the inexpressible. I mean, words can describe our feelings. Actions can reveal our feelings. But music actually expresses our feelings, brings them out into the open, in ways that we can process them and share them and even manage them in healthy and constructive ways. There's something primal about music. They tell us that even infants in the womb can respond to different kinds of music. Early childhood educators tell us that preschoolers learn better when content is set to music. Teenagers turn to music as one of the ways of coping and navigating all the emotional challenges of adolescence, romance, and self-esteem, and belonging, and independence from parents. There's not a one of us of any age, I'm sure, who doesn't from time to time put on the headphones or turn on the radio to to, to relax, to de-stress, to elevate our mood or improve our focus. They tell us that students perform better on tests when they listen to classical music, the Mozart effect, they call it. Cancer patients report less anxiety and less discomfort when they listen to music while receiving treatments. Athletes turn to music to help them focus and push them beyond their limits. Music can transport us in time and space. The other day, a couple months ago, I was driving home after work one day and a song came on the radio, Taking Care of Business, Bachman Turner Overdrive. <laughs> Suddenly, it was 1973. I was 16 years old, driving my father's Ford Pinto home from my after-school job. I was cool again. Music does that for us. It affects us in deep ways. It's hardwired into our limbic system of mood and memory. The right music can enhance just about any human experience. Imagine the Star Wars movie without the John Williams score. Imagine a graduation ceremony without pomp and circumstance. Fenway Park without Sweet Caroline. I hate Sweet Caroline. (laughs) Just so you know. Plato said that the purpose of the arts was to shape human emotions properly. And music can do that. It can speak to us and for us in ways that words cannot. And so we need it. It's one of God's good gifts. And when it's enjoyed properly, it, it whispers to us of everything that is good and true and beautiful about the world God has made. At the same time, we know that we are flawed people living in a fallen world. We consistently fall short of the good and glorious things God created us to do and to be and to enjoy. And so surely those sinful tendencies sometimes find their way into our music. Some of the songs we sing actually diminish God's glory, actually do harm to our souls and to our society and culture. Music can undermine God's good purposes for our lives and relationships and our world. Teenagers, people, will say that heavy metal music can can sometimes help them process their negative emotions, anger. And there's probably some truth to that. Music can have a cathartic effect that, that validates and dissipates those negative emotions. But too much of that kind of music at a vulnerable time of life can push a person over the edge to do harm to themselves or others. Studies have shown that people who listen extensively to gangster rap have much lower views of and actions toward women. It's no surprise that sexually explicit lyrics can stir up lustful thoughts and lead us toward behaviors that are hurtful to us and to other people. So like any of God's good gifts, food, work, sexuality, music can be corrupted. It can be misused. So how can we learn to enjoy music in a way that allows him to whisper his good story to us? Let's go back to the book of Psalms and see if it can help us. Walter Brueggemann is one of my favorite Old Testament scholars, and in his commentary on the book of Psalms, he suggests that there are actually three categories of psalms in that collection of 150, psalms of orientation, psalms of disorientation, and psalms of new orientation. In other words, there are psalms that celebrate what's right about life and the world. Those are psalms of orientation. There are psalms that lament what's wrong with us and with the world, songs of disorientation. And then there are psalms that launch us in new and better directions, psalms of new orientation. As I worked through the psalms, I could see how every psalm in there fit nicely into one of these three categories. But then I began to realize that these categories work for all of music. Just about any song can find its way into one of these three categories. And and when they do, and when we hear them thoughtfully, they can actually whisper God's story to us. So let me show you what I mean. Let's start with psalms of orientation. These kinds of psalms uh, orient our lives around God. They remind us of who God is and what he's doing in the world. They remind us of the beliefs and values and practices that are core and central to being human beings and part of God's world. Listen to a few of them. Psalm 9. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. Now, like many of the Psalms, this one comes with a heading that tells us for the director of music. In other words, this was a song to be sung in the company of God's people when they gathered for worship, and it reminded them of God's work and his attributes. Psalm 92, it is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. Again, the attributes of God are being expressed and articulated in a way that we're reminded of them and can order our lives around them. This particular psalm is called a psalm for the Sabbath, for the gathering of God's people in worship. And this is what we do. Once a week, we come together on a Sunday, typically, and we orient ourselves. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. And we orient our lives and our work and our families and our relationships and our finances. We order our lives around that central thing. It's hard to imagine church without music. But what I'd like to suggest is that you don't have to be in church to sing a song of orientation. That you don't even have to mention God's name to enjoy a song of orientation I think these kinds of songs are being sung all the time in all places and genres of our culture. When Satchmo sings, it's a wonderful world. When Sinatra sings, the way you look tonight. When Cool and the Gang sings celebrate good times. When Taylor Swift sings, it's a love story. They are celebrating what's good and true and beautiful about life, about happy occasions, about falling in love. One of the most successful songwriters, producers, rappers of our day is is the the artist Pharrell. And his recent clap-along hit tells us that happiness is a truth. Well, it happens to be God's truth. And so when we hear this music, when we clap along and sing along, we... God is whispering to us. He's reminding us the the kind of people we want to be, the kind of relationships we want to have, the kind of world we want to live in, and that's good. I realize people aren't always hearing that whisper, but they are feeling it. They're not always living these truths, but they're longing for them, and that's good, because if they listen and long for enough time, they may begin to awaken to the God who put those desires there. So these kinds of songs are a gift. Whether you're standing and singing them in church on a Sunday morning, or you're singing along with the radio on your way home after work, or you're dancing your full head off at a wedding, songs of orientation are a great gift of our God. One evening this past weekend, we uh, wandered up to the local town center to enjoy one of the concerts on the green that many towns in New England have this time of year. There was a local band playing, and they were killing it that night. Classic rock, Motown, Top Forty—I mean, they were terrific. So people are sitting in lawn chairs, clapping along, singing along, a little bit of dancing along. They danced in their chairs. It was Bedford, after all. Okay, so, <laughs> but they were grooving. Neighbors greeted each other. Kids did cartwheels across the grass. We played cards and ate popcorn and felt all the gladness of being alive on a summer night in a small town in America. And all of it whispered of a God who's good and beautiful and gave us all these things for our enjoyment and for his great glory. We need songs like that. It's a gift. But as we said earlier, neither we nor our world are always everything we were meant to be. Sometimes we fall short and we fail. And so we need songs of disorientation as well, songs that express our our grief, our sadness, our brokenness, our anger at what's happening in the world or what's happening to or in us. Words aren't always enough. They're not strong enough and deep enough to get those feelings out into the open. Music can do that. We find psalms of disorientation in the Bible. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? David is feeling forgotten and lonely and defeated. Now, we don't know the tune of this song, but my guess, it was, it was in a minor key. Here's one that should sound familiar. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Have you ever found yourself in a tough moment or a tough season of life, singing a song to help you get yourself through, a song that taps into what you're feeling, that's what Jesus is doing on the cross. In these awful moments, when he can't even muster up the words to describe the loneliness and the desolation he's feeling in those moments, he turns to a song, a song he learned as a kid in the synagogue, Psalm 22. And he sings it. He says it out loud from the cross. A song of lament. Sometimes the lyrics of these songs of disorientation are so graphic and so disturbing, they ought to come with a parental warning. Psalm 63, David sings of his enemies, may they be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. And that's some of his milder lyrics. Now, in his better moments, does does David really mean that? Does he really want that for fellow human beings? Or is he giving vent to his feelings in that moment, in all of their ugliness? Bring them out into the open. So perhaps God can meet him and temper those things and do something redemptive with them. We need songs of desolation. Now, surprisingly, Christians are not always comfortable with songs of disorientation. We like to get to the happy ending. We want to get to the solution side, and and there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we just need to lament and complain And pop music is good at doing that. When Adele sings, hello from the other side, I must have called a thousand times to tell you that I'm sorry for all that I've done, but when I call, you never seem to be at home. She's speaking and singing for everyone whose heart has been broken over a relationship that's fallen apart and can't be put back together again. For the first time in history, this song sold a million copies two weeks in a row. There's a lot of broken hearts out there. And we need songs like this to to express what we're feeling in moments like that. When Natalie Imbruglia sings, nothing's right, I'm torn, I'm all out of faith, I'm cold and I'm ashamed, lying naked on the floor, she's lamenting what happens to us when we give our hearts and our bodies away to someone who's not committed to us for the long haul, it leaves us torn and broken. When Mick Jagger sings, I can't get no satisfaction, which may be the primal theme of all of rock and roll he's acknowledging that no earthly experience or relationship can satisfy the deepest longing of the human heart. Now, he may not know that's what he's saying, (laughs) but he's saying it just the same, and so is everyone who sings along. Like the human heart, rock and roll is restless and always will be until it finds its rest in God. Some years ago, the legendary rapper Tupac Shakur rapped, Come on, come on, I see no changes. Wake up in the morning and I ask myself, is life worth living? Should I blast myself? I'm tired of being poor and even worse, I'm black. My stomach hurts, so I'm looking for a purse to snatch. Come on, come on, that's just the way it is. Some things will never change. That's just the way it is. He was expressing the frustration that, that many young men of color feel after generations of, of economic inequality and injustice. Now, are all the words of rap music true and good and beautiful? No, they're not. But neither is the world sometimes. And there are times we just need to say that. We, we need to lament that. We need to feel those feelings and shake our fist in the face of them. And songs of disorientation allow us to do that. Now, as we said, there are some lyrics and some songs that go too far, that indulge our fallen tendencies and incite destructive behavior. Tupac himself was gunned down in the street not long after rapping this tune. There are songs being sung that aren't helpful. Helpful. And we need to know when to turn the music off. But there are times we need songs of disorientation to express what's wrong with our world and with us. And if we'll listen carefully and thoughtfully, we can hear God whispering that he sees us in that brokenness, that he came to be with us in that brokenness, and he wants to lead us to better places, which, of course, takes us to the third kind of song, new orientation, Songs that find us in our broken, wounded, angry, frustrated places and lead us to better days, to healing and forgiveness and restoration and transformation. And so John Lennon imagines all the people living life in peace. Kelly Clarkson celebrates her independence after breaking off a bad relationship. Since you've been gone, I can breathe for the first time. Bono sings of a city where the streets have no name, where people are not divided into neighborhoods based on race and color and class and economics. Songs like this give us hope. They point us in better directions. They inspire us to get up and try again at this thing called life, at this thing called justice, at this thing called peace and love. And that's good. The problem, of course, is that songs alone are not enough. Music can speak to us, but it can't change us. It can point us towards new places, but it can't get us there. Rock and roll came of age at a time of deep longing for a better world. My generation sang, come on, people now, smile on your brother. Everybody, get together. Try to love one another right now. We believed that world was possible. It was in our grasp. We were going to give peace a chance. We were going to be the generation that got it right. That was a lot of years ago. We've had our chance And the world doesn't look all that much better than it did 50-some years ago. Now, we still sing those songs and others like them, and that's good, because at some point, those songs might awaken within us the, the recognition that we need something and someone greater than ourselves. We need better songs to sing. And that's what we find in the book of Psalms. Let's come back to the one we began with, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Now, we don't know the occasion for this song, Maybe he's looking back on the exodus, deliverance from slavery. Maybe he's looking back on the return from exile, years of captivity. Maybe it's just a victory they've won over their enemies. But clearly, God has done something that only God could do. He's rescued them. He's made them whole and well and given them a future. And they're they're so full of, of happiness and hope that all they can do is sing as beautifully and loudly and joyfully as they know how. When he speaks about a new song, it's not just a new tune, it's a new truth. It's a new theme. It's a new thing God is doing in their lives and in the world that calls for new kinds of music and new enthusiasm. In fact, he looks forward to a day when not just all of Israel, not just all the nations, but all of creation will join in a great chorus, a great song of praise. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. What a great image. God loves music so much that everything he created will one day lift its voice in celebration of his goodness and his truth and his beauty. This Psalm, this Psalm, 98, is the basis for Joy to the World, one of our favorite Christmas carols. Imagine celebrating Christmas without singing Joy to the World. That's how important music is to our experience of life and our expression of faith. And what's true of this one song is true of the whole collection. They all point us Godward. In every experience of life, Even the songs of disorientation almost always end with new orientation. Remember that awful song Jesus was singing on the cross? Why have you forsaken me? That's not the end of the song. It modulates partway through. Listen to how it ends. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of nations will bow down before him, for he has done it. Jesus is singing the whole song in his head. He knows the lyrics. And he's announcing to himself and to the people listening that this is not the end of the story. The song ends with all of creation turning to their God to be forgiven and restored and made new. And so it goes with every song in this album. They all awaken us to God. And that's why music is such a gift. It speaks to and for our hearts and awakens us to God's heart. Because he is the reason for all our songs of orientation. He's behind everything that's good and true and beautiful in this world. And so when we sing those songs, when we hear those songs, when we play those songs where God is whispering his story to us of a good and beautiful God. He's the answer to our songs of disorientation. He came to be with us in those awful moments and to show us a better way. And so we, when we sing those songs, when we feel those songs, if we listen carefully, we can hear God whispering, I know, I'm here, I'm with you. And he's the answer to he is the promise of new orientation, of better days, of new relationships, of the world the way it was meant to be. And only he can do that. Only he can heal and forgive and reconcile and restore and make new us and this world. And someday he will. And so when we sing those kinds of songs, let's sing them loud with all of our strength so the whole world hears us. So they're invited to sing along as well because that's what music is meant to do, to speak to and for our hearts and awaken us to God. And it wouldn't be right to preach a whole sermon on music and not listen to any. So I want to finish with just a short clip from a song I heard randomly on the radio one day, driving home from work. And it so captured my imagination, I said, I can't wait to use that in a message. <laughs> and this is the perfect time. It's sung by Mavis Staples. She's a blues and gospel singer, longtime civil rights activist. She actually opened for Bob Dylan just a couple weeks ago right here in Boston. Give a listen to the opening lines of this song entitled 99 and a Half.
1: time protect you on a danger zone And will guide you down a rugged road and bring you out on the bright side oh, i'm running i'm running
0: on now. You see what I mean? You don't just hear that song. You feel that song. The longing, the angst, the faith that God can and will come through someday and put this world right. And Mavis wants it. She wants it deep. And so she's still running. She's still marching. She's still singing. And she'll keep on doing that with all of her strength until her God comes through and does what he promises he will do. That's not just Mavis Staples' heart. That's God's heart. And that's what music does for us. It awakens our heart to God's. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for a chance to think together about an ordinary feature of our everyday lives that perhaps we have overlooked from time to time. I pray that you will give us ears to hear your whisper when we're here in church singing together and when we're out there in the world. May we hear what you're saying to us. May we hear what the world is saying to you. And may you awaken us to all that is good and true and beautiful in this world. And may we continue to pursue it, celebrate it, and anticipate it